Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Meta Parlakar. She's the CTO and co-founder at Casper Labs. Meta, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on today. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you on the show. I think what you guys are doing at Casper Labs is really innovative and cool. But maybe before we get into all that stuff, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Oh, sure. I grew up in Canada, actually, in, okay, cool. uh, in the province of Ontario. Very cool. I'm actually Canadian as well. I live in Alberta. So very, very cool. nice. Very um, nice. So walk me through. You went to university. What did you take and why? Oh, gosh. So, you know, for those that don't know, I'm of Indian descent. Uh, my parents were first generation Indians that settled in uh, in Canada when they emigrated from India. And like a good Indian girl, I was expected to go to medical school. So when I went to college, I got my undergraduate uh, bachelor's degree in biology um, with an intent, you know, originally with an eye to go into medical school. I had a shift in my life. Um, and decided that that was not the career that I wanted to go into, um, you know, in my early 20s. Okay, so did you ever have any desire to be a doctor or it was just kind of like, well, this is what my parents kind of expected me? You know, when I was really young, I had a desire to be a doctor, but okay. I feel like my motivations were not grounded in the reality of what, you know, being a physician actually meant. And as I grew older, I knew that I wanted to have a different quality of life. And medicine was transforming during that time. And it became evident to me uh, pretty early on that 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 lifestyle wasn't what I wanted. I would probably overcommit myself uh, at the expense of far too many other things in my life uh, to the profession. So I opted out. Got you. Okay. So you mentioned you had a career kind of change in your early 20s. How did that come about? And what did you get passionate about then? So it was interesting, you know, um, after I uh, moved to San Diego, so I've lived in San Diego for about 30 years, don't live there anymore. But you know, when I when I moved to San Diego is because I met my husband and got married, got married at a very young age, and obviously I had to pay the bills. So I just got a job. And at that job, I rapidly became the internal IT support. And it was at that time that um, the IT professional in, in there told me that I should go back to school and, you know, because I was good at this. He's like, kid, you're pretty good at this. You should even consider a career. And so then I went back to school to get trained as a software developer. And that's when I got my first job actually writing code at Justin's Learning. Um, I didn't realize it at the time, but I actually had over, I was one of those outliers. I had been working with computers since I was 12 years old building them in my dad's basement and, and writing and debugging programs in MS-DOS. Um, I didn't want to follow in my dad's footsteps. He was a structural engineer. And even though he recommended engineering school for me, it really wasn't something that I wanted to do because I had a very clear, like I had a picture of what engineering was at that time. So I didn't pursue electrical engineering. Um, I, I, you know, sometimes I pause at where I would have been if I had done that instead of going to medical school. But I, I, was, I had a lot of exp expertise in technology, but I came by it. Uh, not through formal education at that point in time, but really by hands-on, uh, working with it hands-on at a very young age. 
interesting. I, I actually think just having that experience and that curiosity and just basically messing around with computers at, at that age, it it's almost like it helps you so much in the in your future, no matter kind of where you end up. And I know a few people that I, I put myself in that boat where you just kind of like when you fall into something and it becomes your passion later on and your career, it's like so valuable. Hey, it, it absolutely is. It literally is what the book Outliers talks about. And, and it was very actually very late in my life that I actually connected the dots and realized that I was an outlier because I really didn't know why I understood so much about how computers worked, but I had been building them. By the time I was 22, I'd already been working with them for 10 years. I was yeah. the first only kid in my high school with a personal computer on my desk. I was the only kid in my college dorm with a, you know, a computer and a printer. I actually had a laser printer uh, oh, wow. back in 1987. Yeah, my dad made sure I had that, right? That's so awesome. I, I it's, it is, it's very cool. So. I was working with, you know, software and, and word processing way before anybody else was. And I just knew how these things worked. And so it really came, it, it became very apparent much later to me in life that that was why, because I, I started asking the same question you are. I was like, how did I wind up in this, in this amazing industry? You know, and, and that's really what it was. It was because I, I just learned about it hands-on at a very early age. Very cool. So walk us through your career maybe some highlights along the way up until coming up with the idea and uh, co-founding casper labs yeah so i started writing code uh, around y2k you know 1997 1998 at justin's learning yeah i was writing cross-platform code i wrote in pascal and then i did some work in in java and then cc and then after that, I realized I didn't actually love code construction as much as I loved doing uh, integration testing and actual quality control. And this, so then I pivoted, and this is around the dot-com boom, and I went to go work for mp3.com. mp3.com was a very unusual company. Um, it flamed out, right? It was like, it was this massive yeah. IPO, and, and it <laughs> flamed out rather spectacularly. But the interesting thing that a lot of people don't know is they really had groundbreaking technology. Totally. I remember using it. I thought it was yeah. great. Yeah, it's fantastic technology, right? So we had YouTube back in 1997, 1998, 1999. We had iTunes back then as well. And we had delivered this, you know, we had created this unbelievable cloud of uh, musical content. I mean, it was phenomenal oh. what we could do. We had Web 2.0 way before Web 2.0 was even a thing, right? Dynamic publishing pages, just-in-time CD creation, our own internal ticketing system, continuous integration. These are buzzwords you hear about now, but nobody was talking about yeah. it in 1999. And so my experience there allowed me to actually really, you know, one, we rode the dot-com boom, but then I was able to take everything that I learned there and then applied it for the next 10 years in all the companies I went to go work at. I was the director of quality control for them. And so then after mp3.com, I went to go work at DivX and I did some firmware uh, white box testing. And then I went to go work at Website Story, which then ultimately was bought by Omniture and then Adobe, where I became their senior manager of worldwide quality for their uh, web analytics, right? So then again, I learned a lot about web analytics and data collection and 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 basically built you know the SaaS space, right? So I became very grounded in software as a service and web 2.0. And then from website story, I went and did some small startups and then ultimately landed at Avalara. And I was a senior director of engineering at Avalara, where I managed a variety of their, their compliance solutions, right? So I learned a lot about, you know, compliance, uh, content delivery, and obviously, you know, SaaS software uh, being responsible for, you know, pretty mission critical stuff. Um, and I was with Avalara for about six years. Fantastic company. 
uh, you know, I was part of the senior leadership team there. And then after I left Avalara, I left Avalara in 2016, and uh, a friend of mine invited me to run an open source blockchain project. And okay. it was there where I kind of fell into the blockchain rabbit hole. And this was in early, this was er, mid 2017. So this is really when Pretty blockchain early. was red hot, right? With the ICO yeah. boom that was happening. And um, there was just a lot of excitement about building layer ones. And, uh, and, and Ethereum was just taken off. So it was a really, really exciting time. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I became well known within this, you know, open source blockchain project. And that's where I met a lot of the folks that ultimately wound up co-founding Casper Labs with me. Right. So this project, unfortunately, experienced a critical governance failure and went belly up. But the investors in that project said, look, you know, we really can't save this project, but we believe in some of the things this project was trying to do. You know, let's go ahead and co-found. Let's create this new company called Casper Labs. And so that's how Casper Labs was founded. It was October 31st, 2018. Um, I was with that other project for about, you know, I'm going to say about a year, a little over a year, about 13 months. Okay. And um, they entrusted me to go ahead and, you know, build the project, build the product and build the development team. And we were very purpose driven. When Renal and I sat down and laid out what Casper Labs is going to be, it was going to be an enterprise-focused blockchain, and we wanted to build a Red Hat consulting-type business around the open-source software. We believed very much in the Red Hat model. We believed that you know Red Hat did great things for Linux in, at a time when businesses really didn't know how to adopt totally. this open-source technology. And we felt we see the exact same opportunity with blockchain. Got you. Okay. So maybe before we get into Casper Labs, do you want to explain to people how like what blockchain is and how they can actually use it into the enterprise and then why and how casper labs plays into that yeah let's let's do that so let's bust some myths right so the first thing is is that blockchain is not cryptocurrency the two are very different yep. right so <laughs> cryptocurrency is an application of blockchain Right. So you can have blockchain without crypto, but you can't have crypto without blockchain. That's a great way to think about it. Totally. Um, blockchain, the way I like to think about blockchain is everybody's familiar with the Internet. Right. And I see the Internet protocol known as HTTP as an information protocol. Right. It allows you to transmit information over a wide area network known as the Internet. I see blockchain as a trust protocol. So any information you pass over a blockchain protocol can be trusted. Uh, and if you start thinking about the lack of trust people have on the information on the internet, the blockchain protocol is coming at just the time when consumers are demanding greater trust and transparency in the interactions they have over the internet, right? And that is what blockchain brings to bear. And you don't have to have crypto if you wanna use blockchain. Businesses can use blockchain to secure and trust the data that they use in their business every day. Got you. Okay. That, that makes, that's a great way of putting it. So how have you leveraged that ideology into Casper Labs and how, how does a business actually use Casper Labs to do that? Right. So you know, business is powered by software today, right? And there's mm -hmm. like over 20 years and it's a multi-billion dollar industry, right? And so 
I take a very, very pragmatic approach when it comes to blockchain technology, which is quite different from a lot of the other public protocols you'll see out in the space, is that I see blockchain as a trust protocol that kind of fades into the background, right? I see it as a small part of a much larger application architecture that is there to support the workflows and data that businesses need by securing it through trust, right? And, and you know, yeah. a certain amount of guarantees around what happened in history, right? So how does this apply, right? If you think about, let's take a very simple use case of pharma, right? When you wanna bring a drug to market, I don't know if most people know this, but when you go through a clinical trial, clinical trial administrators spend almost double the amount of time validating their data than they do collecting it. And this is to ensure that the data has been tampered with, that it can be trusted, because there's a lot of liability and risks associated with that. Right. So just imagine if you could secure the data and you had some guarantees around who created the data, when the data was created, that the data hadn't been tampered with, that it was tamper-proof, that it was anonymized. How much time could you shave off the getting a drug to market, right? Wow. Totally. And That's huge, right? And very life-saving. And very life-saving, right? So you could, and as consumers, you would get some guarantees around that clinical trial data, the conditions under which it was conducted, et cetera, et cetera, because it's all the immutable blockchain. So these are the kinds of, you know, applications where trust plays a huge, huge role, right? And it's so much more than cryptocurrency, right? Cryptocurrency is like just the tip of the iceberg, right? I feel like that the real opportunity to transform society is by this trust and traceability um, features that blockchain brings to bear. No, that that makes a lot of sense. And I agree with you. I think we're, this is like the perfect time in history for that. And so how do I leverage Casper Labs in the enterprise and maybe talk also about, because I think in a lot of cases you say open source, you say blockchain, you say kind of a few words, people get, or at least an enterprise get so kind of like, ah, oh, I can't, we can't touch that. But a lot of companies are adopting both and have, and actually in a lot of cases, it makes the most sense for them. So do you want to talk about how people in enterprise actually leverage Casper Labs technology? Absolutely. So, you know, one open source, I don't think is anything to be afraid of, right? The open source software gives you transparency around what the protocol does and what the software does. And because there's many, many eyes on the source code itself, you can get some guarantees around what the what the systems are doing, right? Apache, sure. Apache web servers, open source, Linux is open source, and we've seen massive adoption of both those technologies, right? And we believe blockchain is going to do the exact same thing. Um, and how businesses can leverage blockchain is, you know, a great example is, you know, we've got a couple of uh, prototypes that, well, actual production implementations now using Casper. One of them is IPWE that is building patents, right? They're building oh, a patent cool. marketplace. Interesting. Now, before IPWE, you know, the buying and selling of patent and intellectual property was very difficult because these are more ephemeral things. There's no marketplace. And if you wanted to learn about a patent, you don't know, you could identify who owned it. Right. So right. when IPWE set down this this path to, to create a patent marketplace, they discovered that almost 30 percent of the patents they were being sold in their marketplace were not they, the person selling them didn't have the right to sell them. And so oh, it became yeah, it became very, <laughs> very obvious to them that they actually needed like a proof of custody. Right. Or a provenance solution using public blockchain technology. 
And so they have gone live on the Casper protocol and they will be publishing their, their customers will now be publishing their patents directly to the public protocol to, as a proof of ownership, right? And there are also, you know, big, bold plans to actually integrate with the regional patent offices that when a patent is actually approved, it gets published to the protocol with who the owner is. And so it is kind of like a public declaration of this is who owns the patent and eventually we'll add law case legal findings. And so you will eventually be able to see the entire history of a piece of intellectual property when you buy it, right? And so, you know, this is like a lot of value that can be built around making this public information much, much more accessible and available for buying and selling and tracking in terms of who owns it. Interesting. Okay. No, that makes makes a lot of sense. So I'm curious then to talk about kind of because the blockchain and everything is still pretty early on, what's your vision of where Casper Labs and doing blockchain and, and all these kind of new technologies and inter enterprise is going to go? Right. So, you know, I think... A lot of a lot of the blockchain protocols kind of see like they're more anarchist and they see, you know, blockchain kind of coming in and ups, upsetting the Apple card and decentralizing everything. And we like to think of it more as blockchain as an enabler for collaboration, right, where mm -hmm. companies that previously didn't trust each other because they competed can find a way and, and a set of economic incentives so that they can collaborate and through collaborating they can actually unlock greater potential for their entire industry, right? Which would help sure. uplift the entire industry overall. Um, a great, like there are many, many very interesting use cases around, you know, like insurance. If you think about insurance, right? Like it, what if you had a way to share, you know, uh, death claim information. So you've got a family that's grieving and they have multiple life insurance policies let's say as an example, right? They may have three or four small insurance policies. How wonderful would it be that if they file a death benefit that is that is verified with one policyholder, with, with one company, that they then start sharing that death benefit information so they don't have to refile with multiple with multiple insurance companies, right? right? The other companies can share that information. They, oh, you know what? We recognize this individual. We have a policy with them as well. Guess what? Now what we'll do is because we're saving, we're saving a little bit, in terms of having to process that death benefit, we will, you know, we will split some kind of, you know, finder's fee or something like that with the other company because they have then an incentive to share. They make a little bit of money. The other company saves on, you know, processing the claim. And what's the ultimate outcome? The family doesn't have to deal with multiple insurance companies for filing a death benefit claim, right? What a wonderful gift you can give that family so they don't have to do this over and over and over again in a very difficult time. Right. So getting these companies to collaborate is much, much more interesting to Casper Labs than saying, well, we just want to decentralize everything. Right. Um, and that's how we see, you know, blockchain really playing a role in the enterprise in that it's not about like moving all of their workflows to a blockchain enabled workflow, but rather integrating blockchain into their existing workflows so that they can benefit from the decentralized ledger. Right. Um, and, 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 and using the public protocol, right? Because the public protocol, a lot of companies are shy about using the public protocol. And there's still cases where they should use a private protocol because there may be sensitive information that they don't want to put on a public protocol. But, you know, we built a public protocol that will actually meet the needs of enterprise, right? right. That providing them 
you know, some centralized control because we we believe that in the future future space in the future world that there will still be a space for centrally controlled businesses to operate even in a more decentralized world, right? And we believe that they will operate by collaborating with people that they formerly competed with on certain specific initiatives to provide greater benefit and value to the consumer. Sure. You know, and I think actually you touched on it and I think it's just, I want to reiterate it because I think it's so important is you don't have to move your entire company to blockchain, right? And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions that I've heard from companies. Have you, it sounds like you've kind of, sh you've heard that as well. Yeah, we totally have heard that as well. I mean, my background is 20, 25 years in SaaS, right? And yeah. I built a protocol that I would use as an engineering director. Right. I was responsible right. for uptime of financial applications when I worked at Avalara and I would never select a protocol that couldn't do certain things. Right. It had to integrate into my existing technology stack. I had to be able to staff it with the team that I had already in place. I would have had to be able to make changes to my software and upgrade my software. Right. And everything that the blockchain does as part of that larger application stack, it would have had to do as well. I have to be able to access, have controlled access to certain applications and not others. So all of these requirements, right, are already baked into the Casper protocol. And that sets us apart from a lot of the other protocols there is because we took a very business focus. I built a product that I would use, right, right, as the senior director of engineering in a large, you know, now Fortune 500 company, right? So yeah, that's what that's what's really different for us is I don't think blockchain is the be all and end all. I think it has a very specific small space in the larger, you know, uh, infrastructure in an enterprise. No, I, I agree with you. I think that that makes a lot of sense. So I want to talk a little bit about how do developers actually get started and and maybe what skill sets should they have to actually start using Casper Labs or and your technology? Best way to get started is, you know, you can visit casper.network and there's a great developer guide there. We have tutorials, we have videos um, that will help help them get started. And we also have fairly extensive support infrastructure, you know, on our discord as well. Right. So um, Casper Labs, the company is there to help developers get started on using the Casper network. Um, and so there's lots of resources available there for them to get started. And in terms of skill set, the beautiful thing is a lot of these blockchains have very customizable workflows because I'm going to get into the little technical weeds here, but sure. there's a very specific, you know, people know what Java is, right? So Java yeah. runs on your machine and it has this own little container that it runs in known as the JVM. And most of these blockchains have something similar, right? They have their own little virtual machines, if you will. And most of these specific, you know, very special sauce virtual machines will have custom programming languages or you have to like, you know, run some really special hardware in order to run them. The Casper protocol doesn't do any of those things, right? So if you're used to running and, and working in your current workflow you use to build software today, Casper plugs right into that, right? So if you're a CC++ developer, you can start working with Casper contracts in about three and a half weeks, right? And you can do it on your own time. Um, we recently had a Gitcoin hackathon. It was one of the largest hackathons Gitcoin has ever had. And we had 1400 participants and over half of them had never worked with blockchain before, right? Wow. And within, awesome. within three to four weeks, they were running contracts, right? Cool. Um, and so that's really the value proposition is because 
it's a core requirement in a business. If you have to hire very specialized talent, then you run into a risk with maintaining that special talent, right? Totally. Recruiting them, hiring them, retaining them. So we made it very, very easy for you know multiple people in the organization to become familiar with the technology and to be able to support it. Smart. No, that that makes a lot of sense, right? That that was one other thing that I wanted to get your thoughts on because you're right. Like a lot of times it's like, well, we'd love to do this, but the technology to do that is not there, right? In this case, it is, which is awesome, right? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 about accessibility, right? So Casper and Casper Labs is about scalability. And and when you talk about most of the protocols and they talk about scalability, they're only talking about how fast the protocol is, right? right. And while Casper is fast, its scalability for us is much, much more, right? It's about how the protocol scales across feature sets as your as your business grows. So as you're adding more features to your to your business or as your business wants to integrate blockchain into a variety of different applications in your system, how can that protocol scale for your needs, right? Like how flexible is it? How many, all across the board, it's all about scaling adoption in terms of scaling throughput, but also even scaling across the feature set for enterprise. No, that makes sense. And I think the, the one positive thing that I think came out of the pandemic, if anything, is the fact that I think more and more people are thinking globally now. And so I think having something that's put on the blockchain that can basically be replicated and secure as businesses and they onboard employees or open offices in different parts of the world where they maybe never considered before a technology like blockchain and what you guys are doing at Casper Labs for uh, enterprise really kind of fits into that? Or, or what's your thoughts around kind of expanding globally with blockchain and enterprise? Well, so, you know, Casper Labs has got uh, making big inroads into the MENA region, right? So we've right. got offices in Dubai. That's awesome. Our developers themselves are global, right? We've got folks from, you know, uh, every virtually every country in the world, right? So we've got a huge presence in in Europe. We've obviously got folks in the United States. We have folks in India and Australia and in China. So we ourselves are a global company, right? That's awesome. Yeah, it is amazing. And and there's a lot there's a lot of uh, fruits to be born, right? For unbanking, you know, banking the unbanked, right? Yep. So you talk a lot about like you know people don't have banking infrastructure, but they do have mobile phones, right? So there's right. fantastic opportunities to give them access to financial products and financial instruments where they don't have it right so there's there's so much that the technology can do that is way beyond just the cryptocurrency piece of it no i i think i think that makes a lot of sense so i'm curious the what did you guys do or how did uh metacast use your platform because i think that's a really good wor real world example that I think maybe will help people really understand a, a really good example of how to use the blockchain. So Metacask sells rare whiskey casks. Um, and in some ways it's very similar to IPWE because here we have a marketplace that previously was laden with red tape and paper. There was very low level of access, right? To the artifacts right. that they wanted to create a mar marketplace around. Um, and because there was low level access, they didn't actually have very good market discovery around what the actual value of the asset was. And so by 
representing, so what is Metacast doing? They're representing these rare whiskey casks in the form of non-fungible tokens on the Casper protocol. And what, you know, there's a couple of reasons why they selected Casper. One obviously is because Casper is much, much more affordable than Ethereum, right, at this point right. in time. And the second reason is, is the non-fungible tokens on Casper do support upgraded data or updated data, right? So the Casper protocol isn't fully immutable. And when we say fully immutable, a lot of these public protocols, once you write it to the blockchain, you can never change it. Right. But our perspective is that, yes, the his, you know, the history should be immutable, but the future is unwritten. Right. And so we allow Metacask to update certain details about the cask, right, about the NFT as they receive new information about the whiskey cask. And that was a core requirement for them. And so by going onto the Casper protocol, this simplified their workflow and it made it a lot easier for them to actually provide updated information about the cask within the, the non-fungible token. And for those who don't know what a non-fungible token is, it's a one-of-a-kind thing, right? It, uh, NFTs, there's a lot of excitement about it in the blockchain world. And my posit is that it's really exciting, not because not, not just for the digital art, but more so because NFTs are a great way to represent the world around us, right? right? Most of the world is represented as unique things that are not divisible, right? And are not necessarily tradable. And that's what a non-fungible token really is. It's something that cannot be, it cannot be divided and it, it, you know, you can't create many of it. It's a one of a kind thing. And so, you know, using this technology, Metacask was ab is able to create a marketplace where, you know, rare whiskey casks can be invested in, bought and sold and traded. And um, so it's it's very exciting. We're very excited, you know, about, um, you know, bringing this to bear on the public protocol. And they also have on-chain auctions. So they've got a, a, an English auction and a Dutch auction, um, oh, which cool. is which is all running on the blockchain, right? And and, and viewable by anybody that participates. No, that, that's very cool. And I think the thing is too, it almost gets rid of like scalpers and, and fraud, right? In, in a lot of cases by using something that's trackable, you can say like, yes, you know, I bought this or I sold this, right? Yeah, exactly. So once you own the NFT, it proves that you own the whiskey cask, right? And so that's something that cannot be, um, it can't be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Counterfeited, right? Yeah. And NFTs have an interesting property. Like right now, ticket scalpers are able to resell tickets, but the original ticket issuer doesn't get any money of the scalp, right? Right. So if you put, if you were to put concert tickets on the blockchain, you can actually build something in that every time a ticket is resold, some percentage of the proceeds go back to the original issuer. Right. So then this helps align incentives that, yeah, fine. I don't care if somebody resells the ticket. I'm still, you know, a percentage of that money is still going to come back to me as the original issuer. Sure. No, I, I think that makes that's actually really good use case. And I actually think that's something that people can really understand and totally see value in. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm curious, you obviously have been very successful in tech and you're a CTO. And, and founder of a company. And I think, how do we, as a global community, actually foster and have more females in tech, never mind just trying to get them into C-suite? Because I think if we get them into tech, a bunch of them will end up into C-suite roles, hopefully founders, 
and hopefully, you know, doing whatever they want to do in tech, because I think there's a huge problem. I, I don't know if it's getting better. What are your thoughts around all that stuff? Yeah, so I get asked this question a lot, um, and I'm I will I'll, I dare say that I'm a little bit different than than most of the people that you know that you ask this question about. So awesome. I absolutely support Girls at Code. I'm a huge fan of that, um, but I, I attribute my success in technology directly to my father. Right? Um, if sure. he had not put that me in front of that personal computer when I was a young girl, I I would not be in technology today. And so, um, ironically, if you look back to the 60s and 70s, the penetration of women math, in both in mathematics and computer science was, was actually followed the population grid. It was 52%. 52% of all technologists at the time were women. And that really shifted, ironically, around the time that I actually got into computers in the 80s with the advent of the personal computer. And it was at this point in time where the PCs wound up pre more prevailing in front of the boys' desks. Right. Um, in, instead of the girls' desks. And so what happened then is boys wound up being the outliers. They wound up having a lot more exposure to technology than girls and such. When they entered the workforce, right, either electrical engineering, they, they were way ahead of their female counterparts and, and the female counterparts then became disenfranchised. Right. So I would say, you know, if you have daughters, granddaughters, nieces, get, get them in front of a PC. Uh, teach them how to write algorithms, teach them how to code, show them HTML, teach them how to do Minecraft mods, get them excited about technology, get them excited about computers. Um, it's and, and, and my dad had to really push me like I wasn't excited about it. <laughs> right. So they're not going to be excited about yeah. it. They won't sure. be excited about it, but push them about it anyway, because this is the future. Right. And yeah. uh, technology is a fantastic career. Um, and support them in their uh, in their in their goals to learn uh, about technology, so that when they get into computer science, they will be on par with their male counterparts. Um, and so that's for me, like that's I feel like it's a generational thing, and it starts at home, right? That you teach. I I, I drew my daughter into blockchain. I taught her all. She was a political science major. I taught her all about blockchain governance because I felt like she needed to really understand. Uh, blockchain technology, right? And our director of engineering, he has a young girl. He's teaching her how to code. She already knows how to code. She that's writes awesome. algorithms. So it, because that's it, if you want to foster more women in technology, it starts at home, right? So put them in front of PCs. And I'll mentor any young lady that wants to be mentored in terms of how to how to deal with the C-suite or how to deal with being a female in technology. You can you can DM me at, on Twitter. I'm at mparlicar. So I'm always here to lend my lend a hand. In, no, I, I think that's that's awesome. But I, I'm curious then, what mm. advice would you give to somebody that's maybe even in technology and and female or well, let's just say like as a white male, like a non-white male, because it's really easy for me to give advice on things when I mm -hmm. maybe understand less than one percent of. The yeah, stuff that for sure. I get because of like who I just was born as, right? Yeah, so, no, for sure. I mean, in my entire career, I was the only female female sure. director of engineering, and many times the only female in engineering. And I would say, you know, it's one of the gender issues that women have is we more often than not we do not we do not trust in our own power. Sure. And so I would tell all the women out there, and it, I, this actually cross cuts any vertical, right? Is that you have a lot more so you have a lot more sovereignty than you think, and you have a lot more power than you give yourself. 
And so I would say speak up more often, disagree respectfully, don't be afraid to speak up. Um, more often than not, I mean, we think back later on, like, God, I wish I had said something. I wish I had done something. And more often than not, you have more power than you think you do, right? So speak up, find a fantastic mentor, uh, find your power, um, help each other, right? Support each other. And I, yeah, I think that's that's what really counts. No, I think that's actually really good advice. The other thing that I'd be curious to get your thoughts on, if you're that unhappy at, what you're doing job wise, I think there needs to be more, if the person wants to do this is actually founding a business and company, right? And I find like sometimes that's also not really told to a lot of people. It's like, look, you're ready. You can do this. It's going to be hard, but like, I, and I think not enough people hear that sometimes, or, or what are your thoughts around that? Oh man. So when <laughs> It's, this is a very interesting story that I'll share. So when I was approached to co-found Casper Labs, that was really kind of at a fork in the road. And um, I had to, you know, sit down. I sat down with my my life partner and I looked at him and I said, you know, I really want to go do this. And it was t definitely taking a risk because there were no guarantees that it would succeed. My co-founders had done, I, I had a great deal of confidence in my co-founders that it was going to work. But whenever you set out to found a business, you know, it always comes with some inherent amount of risk. And it really was, and of course he was very supportive. Obviously I wouldn't be here if he wasn't. And he's continued to support me. It's been amazing. Um, but I would say that it was really more about me feeling like I could do it. And right. I allowed myself to have it. Um, I think it was much, much more about that than it was about anything else. And it goes back to you know your own power and your own sovereignty and recognizing and allowing yourself to have your dream to have your vision to go do it and if you if you if you allow yourself to have it and you believe in your own power then it will happen right it sure. things just happen uh, um and and i think that's that's exactly what's happened for me here no i i actually think that's really good advice because the, the thing that's yes to all the stuff you just mentioned, but I think the other thing is, is like absolute worst case scenario, you can go back and get a job. And I know it's easy for me to say that, but like there has been no better point in history right now that like, it seems like everybody in tech is hiring right now and there's a shortage. And so if you want to do your own thing, and I'm not saying quit your job and start, you could do something as like a fun side project see where it goes and kind of evenings and weekends and then decide if you want to do it. But I think there's no better time in history to actually start pursuing that, even if it's for a few hours a week and not going all in. Do you agree with that? Or what are your thoughts around that? No, a hundred percent. And like, so I'll tell you something that's really unprecedented right now, like unprecedented in technology in the blockchain space, right? Okay. Is the fundraising, the yep. fundraising model, and the, the basically the creation of value and the creation of wealth in the blockchain space is, has never happened in history before, right? Like we've oh, never had a new form of money. Yep. And so when you think about this, like Casper Labs has, just Casper Labs alone has put aside 16% of all of our token supply towards developer incentives. And we have a developer DAO that will literally help you get started in building something on the decentralized protocol, right? So not only is there a fantastic opportunity to learn, there are so many incentives to actually bootstrap new and incentive and new and exciting businesses 
using blockchain technology where you can actually go and get some funding to pay the bills, right? If you needed to, or to, to, to fund some educational uh, content or participate in a community. So, which, which you've never seen before, right? Like in the dot com boom, it was all venture capital funding, right? In, in the ICO boom and in this, this blockchain boom, it's all happening by, by tokenization. Yeah. And it's 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 kind of it's kind of unbelievable. It's incredible, actually. Um, so there's tremendous opportunity for people to, you know, create their own businesses using blockchain technology. It really is a greenfield right now. Sure. And it you don't need a ton of money. You could start with hundreds, maybe a few thousand dollars, not even tens of thousands of dollars. Like mm -hmm. so, it's so attainable these days, especially if you start kind of small. You don't need a team of a hundred people. It's like you start or maybe you find a co-founder or like yep. there's ways to do it that you don't have to be uh, we need to raise a million bucks it's like do you you probably don't no i mean when we founded casper labs it was myself and five other developers right when we founded right. it and then and three other uh, five other co-founders right so it was a very small team right we started with a very small team and we went from there interesting so i'm curious you mentioned throughout the show you've been in the tech space for a really long time what other things did you maybe wish you knew when you were when you were younger and you would tell people that are trying to you know be successful or, or build their own business what are the things i wish i knew um do your research okay right like do your research follow your instinct and intuition right talk to your customers do yeah. your research and talk to your customers customers feedback is so so important right and i i wish i had read the startup owner's manual right like okay. earlier in my life right if i want to if you if you want to be an entrepreneur read the startup owner's manual um is starting a business it doesn't really matter what kind of business it is it's written for a technology business but i don't i think it crosses all all lines of business it gives you a great guidebook in terms of how to build how to build a business and you know customers are funnily enough and even, you know, customers are willing to give you feedback. I've been approached by startups, uh, product managers say, hey, will you take a look at my product? It'll be 15 minutes of your time. And, and I didn't even need any kind of incentive to do it. I was happy to do it. Right. And sure. and yeah. and getting that feedback is massively valuable in terms of helping you build a product and, and figuring out whether there's actually a market for the solution or idea that you have. No, I think that's really good advice. The, the one thing I'm curious to get your thoughts on is obviously you guys at Casper Labs have a roadmap. And with the uh, example you gave a few minutes ago, they requested being able to add additional data to that blockchain. So how do you manage customer feature requests while maintaining your kind of roadmap or is it adjusting or, or how do you manage that? Because I think that can be really challenging, especially early on in a startup. Yeah, so it's more of an art than a science, I would say. Sure. Uh, this is definitely the you know the the technology product management discipline. Um, so the way the way you look at it is uh, one one of the lenses I look at these kinds of feature requests through is like is it general purpose and will it will it support the requirements of many many customers in the future right? right one of the things I've learned in terms of working with customers is oftentimes customers and it's going to kind of fly in the face of what I said before customers don't really know what they want and so having you know you have to have a you have to present a vision to them of 
how you could reshape a current workflow, right? And and most uh, most uh, enter- uh, entrepreneurs are visionaries, right? They see a future state for their customer that their customer cannot possibly imagine, right? Totally, yeah. and, 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 and a great example is like when I talked about IPWE, if you had gone to any one of those customers and said, hey, what do you think about bundling your patents with somebody, you know, and you talk to any of their IP lawyers, they'd be like, oh, that's a crazy idea. Why would I bundle <laughs> my patents, right? But you know, uh, Eric over at IPW is like, no, no, no. Like, just imagine if you could bundle this together and you could split all the, he had, he is that visionary, right? He sees that. Right. And so, um, a lot of times customers don't know what they want. So you have to be able to imagine that future world for them and then, and then test that idea with them and, and get them excited about it. No, I I think that's actually really good advice, but we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So how about we close with mentioning, where people can get more information about Casper Labs and any other links you want to mention? Oh, absolutely. So if you want to learn about the public network and start getting in and getting your hands dirty with it, uh, go to casper.network. If you're an enterprise or a company and you're interested in adopting blockchain in your business, uh, check us out at casperlabs.io. That's our website. And you'll be able to get more information there and reach out to us. And if you're somebody that is interested in technology, if you're a girl that likes to code, you can follow me at uh, mparlicar at Twitter. Very cool. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a great pleasure. Thank you. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community. Sign up for our newsletter or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.